welcome to the Amateur Podcast. My name is Ryan O'Connor, and before we get started, I just have a quick disclaimer to get through. This episode is for informational purposes and should not be considered financial or investing advice. The participants may own securities mentioned on this podcast. As with all amateur podcast episodes, this is for educational purposes only. Are you ready to learn how to learn investing? My guest today is Brendan Brooks, a longtime friend of mine and longtime finance professional. Brendan holds a chartered financial analyst designation and has over 10 years of experience in a variety of investment management roles, including retail investment, private wealth management, pension funds, real estate, and private equity investments. Today, he's going to talk to us about how we can invest our money for the future. So thank you so much, Brendan, for joining me today. Yeah, my pleasure, Ryan. Thanks a lot for having me. Yeah, well, uh, this is something I started thinking about recently because I started getting older. Like, I wanted to learn more about how to invest my money to um, to have something to fall back on in retirement. So I'm really, really excited for this conversation. And uh, I guess just uh, my first question to get to know your background a little bit more, how did you learn to invest? So for me, um, it actually started... When I was in university, um, wasn't taking a business course, actually, was, was studying philosophy. And I picked up a newspaper and, you know, you'd, you'd see the newspapers, you're going by and you look at the business section. And I remember thinking, I don't know what half of this stuff means. <laughs> so you'd be talking about, you know, what uh, oil futures or commodities or interest rates and, you know, mergers and acquisitions and that type of stuff. And I, I really didn't know what many of that stuff meant. And that kind of bugged me. So I, you know, slowly over the next months and years, just tried to figure out bit by bit, taking some courses uh, through the university, using some external resources, reading some books, just trying to figure out you know, what this stuff, all, all of it meant. Um, and how it related to the stock market, and then um, figuring out, you know, how you can be involved in, you know, what these companies are up to by by buying these shares and buying ownership in these companies, and you know, experiencing you know, some of the benefit and and some of the the cash flow that that these businesses create. What do you think it was in particular about the business section of the newspaper that interested you in this topic? Yeah, it was more just, I, th I think when I look at things and I don't understand them, it bugs me. Mm -hmm. So um, that was something where, you know, you read through the, reading through the paper, trying to look at articles and then there's this, just this kind of black box in the business section where I could read the words, but I really had no idea what they meant. So <laughs> that's how I feel uh, when I read the business section now. So yeah, yeah no, and that's where I started. and and. Um, I thought, okay, well, I I want to figure out what all of this means. You know, it, it doesn't happen overnight. It's there's a lot of uh, a lot of moving parts, but you know, if you if you look in the right places, obviously, you know, with the internet and Google, things are a lot easier to look things up a bit more quickly on Wikipedia. You get a lot a lot of information a lot more quickly than you used to. For so sure. um, 
but you know, you still, I think you need to look for resources in a few different places like books or blogs or, and, and you can get some perspective on some of the stuff that you're reading, which I think helps in the long run. Yeah. And I guess you've obviously learned a lot from when you first started learning about this until today, you've obviously, um, gained quite a bit of knowledge in the past, um, 15 years or so. Right. Part of the reason like I really enjoyed what I was learning. So I started taking some of, you know, there's courses that you can take. I, I got a job at a bank and you start learning about, you know, the Canadian securities course or investment funds of Canada course where, they kind of run you through some of the nuts and bolts of how these things work. So you get a better kind of ground up understanding about what goes into investing. Um, and then you know, doing the, the CFA program, that's a, that's more intense. That's, that's really your, you're starting to become a, or trying to become an expert in the field when you, when you take that route. So, right. um, you know, you you get, some of the ones are easier, more attainable, and you you know, for the the average person, if they're interested and just want to learn more about investments, they could take a course like that, uh-huh. and and that would help broaden your knowledge. You know, <laughs> on the other end of the spectrum, there's the CFA and that kind of stuff. That's if you want to make a career out of it. Right, right. Yeah. Well, um, you know, maybe for my second career, I'll I'll jump into the CFA, and uh, if if that if that comes up, I'll I'll go that route. But uh, for now, I guess thinking from the perspective of someone like myself who has a career that's not in finance but is interested in learning more about this, um, where should we start? What are some things that newbies like myself should know before investing? Yeah, the first thing. Um, you know, before you jump in and, and you open an account and you start, you know, buying stocks, you might first of all want to know, you know, what is a stock? Like, what exactly are you doing when you when you open the account and you're, you know, if you buy a share of Apple or, or any company that you pick, um, what does that mean? You know, it means that you own a piece of the companies. So you're buying a very small, usually, you know, there's hundreds of millions of shares outstanding in any company. You're buying a very small piece of ownership in that company. And that means that you get the benefit of, of you know, the cash flow and the value increase that that company is creating by operating its business. So back to Apple, you know, when they sell phones and in, in cloud and services and iPads and the cash that they generate from those businesses after they pay their expenses to earn that money, that goes to the, the shareholders. So uh, that's something that you, you know, can partake in. There's a whole different uh, <laughs> piece to how those things are valued on the stock market. And, you know, why is it, why is the stock price what it is? And I think that's might be a little bit, beyond the scope of the podcast, but, you know, just getting an understanding of, you know, what it is, what you're getting yourself into when you buy a stock and and what your expectations should be. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, what's a bond and a bond is very different from a stock. A bond is you lending somebody money Mm -hmm. as opposed to you buying ownership in a company. Mm -hmm. Um, A dividend is, you know, when a company makes money, uh, sometimes, you know, they'll reinvest money into the company and the money they have left over, they'll distribute it out to the, the owners of the company. And then there's pools of money that 
um, institutions like a bank or, or a fund company, um, they'll have big pools of money that they'll have a portfolio manager think, okay, what's the best way for you to invest a big pool of money in order to get a return for your clients? So that's, that's what a, a mutual fund is in essence. Um, an exchange traded fund is a, a group of stocks that kind of trades like a stock. It's more um, algorithmically based rather than somebody picking what stocks go into it. Typically, it's kind of a rules-based. It's, oh, you own the top 500 companies traded in the U.S. So that would be one exchange-traded fund where they just look at the biggest companies and they pick the biggest 500 and then they put that into one individual investment that you can own. So rather than you going out and buying 500 different companies, you can buy one share of this ETF and then you own all the 500 companies, tiny little proportions, but you, you own a little bit of each one. And that can help you diversify your, your portfolio rather than investing with one company, mm-hmm. which, you know, that can investing in one company, there's, there's a lot of risk. If you were a shareholder of Blockbuster years and years ago, right. and, yeah. uh, you know, it may have been a, a business that was making a good amount of money and a healthy profit, but then new technology comes in and, you know, that basically wipes out your business. Mm-hmm. And if, if you were heavily invested in them, you, you know, you're taking the risk that either that, that business or, you know, that subsector of the market, you know, it could, it could be disrupted and, you know, could, there could be some issues. There could be issues with the CEO or CFO getting caught in some kind of scandal in any individual company. Mm-hmm. So you're, you know, if you buy one stock, you're taking company specific risk. And if you buy something like a mutual fund or exchange traded fund, you're buying a lot of different investments. Yeah. And that, uh, that means you don't expose yourself to, you know, one company's fortunes too much, which which can add a lot of risk and add a lot of volatility to your returns. So you might see, you know, any individual company, there's going to be big swings. You might yeah. be up a couple percent one day, down a couple percent the other day. And I think the average investor, that would give them heartburn yeah. watching their portfolios swing up and down like that. But um, when you own a lot of different companies in your portfolio, you don't see those swings. You, right. it's, it evens it out. It, it diversifies it. And you don't see giant swings unless something catastrophic happens. Yeah. Yeah. I think uh, that risk of owning single companies is something that keeps a lot of people, uh, especially more conservative minded people like myself, uh, um, <laughs> discourages them from investing in single companies, maybe for for better or worse, because you know we're investing for many people. It's our life savings, right? It's our retirement. So uh, we don't want to have to end up um, in a situation where we lose all our money because we thought Blockbuster was going to be around for the next uh, century or so. So it sounds like what you're saying is that uh, there are ways of mitigating these kinds of risks by investing in more diversified uh, investments like ETFs or mutual funds. Is that sort of the the investments you would suggest for new investors is to purchase those products, those investments? Yeah, I'd say that's what's going to give you, you know, the most bang for your buck, if especially if you're not starting with a six-figure portfolio, that's 
easiest way for you to have ownership of a lot of different companies um, pretty easily. You know, you can't, I wouldn't recommend just going buying one, you know, there's different, um, you know, for ETFs, for example, they do, they do different things. So you also have to be very aware of what you're purchasing. Mm-hmm. You have to know what companies are in the ETF or what types of investments are in the ETF. Cause there's ETFs that also have bonds. So, mm-hmm. you know, government of Canada bonds that, um, the government sells in order to raise money. Mm-hmm. Um, so you're, can, you're essentially lending money to the government and they're paying you interest. Um, there's corporate bond ETFs where you're lending money to corporations and they pay you a certain amount of interest. Usually it's more interest than the government because there's more risk that a corporation will pay you back than there is that the government will pay you back. Mm-hmm. So there's there's differences um, in those types of investments, you can, the general theory behind this is you should have a, you should have a little mix of both. You should have some, uh, stocks, ETFs, you should have some bond ETFs. There's also, you know, real estate, uh, investment trusts, or there's ETFs that have, and a real estate investments trust is essentially, there'll be a big group of loan office buildings, your own apartment buildings. And essentially you can buy a very, again, small piece of ownership mm-hmm. in a big pool of money that invests in office towers, apartment buildings, malls, all different types of real estate investments that um, the people that rent out that space, they have leases, those leases generate cash flow for the real estate pool of money and then they distribute that money up to the the shareholders so mm-hmm. um, the one big uh, advantage to diversification is that these different streams of money they are they generate cash flow with very different economic activity so they're different businesses so you lending somebody money is very different from you having ownership in a company that you know, creates cell phones or produces cell phones. And that's very different from a business that, you know, leases out real estate buildings. Mm-hmm. So you can, for a pretty low price, be able to take part in all of those different parts of the economy that typically don't go up and down this, like, what drives one investment return isn't going to impact what drives another investment return. And sometimes they can, you know, the correlation is how it's referred to is, you know, do these things go up together? They don't go down together. Are they unrelated? Are they negatively related or inversely related? You know, that's all very important to reducing the amount of volatility you'll see in your portfolio. So those big swings in value that we were talking about earlier putting together a portfolio that has all these different types of investments will, will help smooth out that volatility and, you know, help make sure you don't have a heart attack when you're looking at your portfolio on a regular basis and see, you know, big drops, big swings, or, you know, you don't get too high, you don't get too low. You just have a a nice diversified approach. Uh, Mutual funds are good too, because you have the portfolio manager um, looking after, 
the pool of money. So you, you have somebody or a team of people that make investment decisions. So if, if you want the advantage of having that professional working for you, that, that's the advantage to mutual funds. It's a little bit more costly because, you know, you have to pay those people versus, you know, an algorithm, you know, it doesn't cost very much to run and maintain. So that's why ETFs right. tend to be cheaper, but you don't get to pick what goes in the ETFs and no, uh, the, the the algorithm really chooses what, what goes in there and, and kind of the rules that are made um, rather than you, know, you you having a guy who can use his judgment to, or, or woman to use her judgment to pick out. Uh, the best stocks to to pick or the best bonds to pick or basically you can pay extra to have a human being looking after the investments that you put your money into right if you buy an etf it's going to be a computer right like an algorithm as you said versus yeah, you, essentially yeah if you put it into a mutual fund then it's going to be a, a team of people and i guess you pay a premium for having the, those people there is that what you're saying yeah yeah there's a little bit there's and this goes back to kind of what should somebody know um, while they're getting into investing is how are you charged fees and transaction yeah. fees and who's who's making what money off of your money? That's mm-hmm. a very important thing to know. So reading how much is it going to cost for you to make a trade yeah. and you're going in and because it's if you're buying things in, in your own account, it's usually transaction based. Um, if you enter a mutual fund, Okay, how's the person that sold you that mutual fund getting paid? Mm-hmm. How is the portfolio manager getting paid? So looking at the um, management expense ratio, MER, mm-hmm. it's it's required on a lot of these investments when you're looking them up. The company that puts them out has to let you know how who's getting paid how much and what percentage of your money goes to paying either administrative expenses or mm-hmm. the portfolio manager or bonuses if right. you know if the fund does well and that that type of stuff. So just to sort of simplify with an example, if I put in a thousand dollars into like an ETF that has a one percent uh, management ex- expense ratio, is that what it's called? Yep. Yeah. Uh, then that means that they're getting what's one percent of a thousand? That's ten, but ten bucks, right? Yeah. So they're getting the ten bucks. Okay, I see. Yep, ten bucks a year. Ten bucks a year. Okay. All right. Yes. And then, so for every other extra thousand that I put in, they're getting ten bucks more, basically. Yes. Okay. Yep. Right. Yep. It's based on how much money you put in. Yeah, is how much yep. you pay in fees. Okay. Good to know. That's uh, that's true. That's very important to know. And um, let's take us back to uh, like a first time investor thinking about putting money away for the future. What should we think about in terms of our goals? Like, what goals should we have in mind when we're putting money in, and how how does that impact how maybe what investments we buy? Obviously, we want to diversify, but what investments we buy first, and then and then add more later? How do goals factor into this this equation? Yeah, goals are very important because. Anybody who's giving you any kind of investment advice, or even if you want to do it independently and you want to read up on it, knowing when you're going to use the money or need the money is one of the most important things in trying to figure out what the best investment strategy is. Mm -hmm. So, you know, is it your retirement money? Is it education money? You know, and you may not have a, 
a well-defined goal, but you just broadly want to, you know, increase your wealth. Mm-hmm. You just have to know, okay, this, this money that I'm investing, how long am I going to be investing it for reasonably? Because there are certain investments that aren't going to be right for you if you're going to be, if the time frame's too short. Mm-hmm. In the long run, the stock market in general goes up. Mm-hmm. So you'll see. Um, and there's a few different charts that uh, I sent you that I think you can share with uh, the listeners. Yeah, I'm going to post those in charts gen- to the uh, show notes so you'll find them there. It's a good visual. It shows the last 10 years of both the, the U.S. and the Canadian market. Mm-hmm. And the, the trend line is up. So mm-hmm. you'll, it's it's yeah. very easy to see that over 10 years, the markets go up. But there's ups and downs within that 10 years. Yeah, so, there's, there's a big down from last year. <laughs> yeah, and if and if it went back further, you'd see another big yeah, one in the yeah. 2008, 2009 financial crisis. So uh, there are big dips from time to time, but generally in any five-year period, you're going to make more money than from start to finish of that any five-year period there. There's almost no if if not no instances where you'd have less money uh, over a five-year period. Mm-hmm. So that's why typically if your investment thresholds or your investment time frame is five years plus, we think, okay, this is safe for you to invest in some stocks because there's a pretty good likelihood that you're going to have more money than you did today. So if you invest in that broad market, so there are exchange traded funds that basically try and match that um, that market that that's in that graph. So if you put your money into one of these exchange traded funds, very high likelihood, five years plus 10 years, you're going to be doing better. You're going to have more money than you did when you started. When it starts getting a smaller and smaller time frame, less than five years, the likelihood of you having more money than your starting point starts getting less and less likely. Five years is pretty good. Four years is you know, you're still probably very high likelihood. Three years, okay, that's starting to get a little bit dicey. And then two and one, it's the likelihood of you having more money in one year if you invest today in the stock market. It's not, it's not going to give you as much comfort mm-hmm. as you might want. Mm-hmm. And it wouldn't be a good investment strategy or it wouldn't be prudent for someone to recommend it to you because you know, if you say, oh, I want to buy a house in one year, oh, just put your money in the stock market. You'll have more money. Well, you might have less in one year yeah. than you have right now. Mm-hmm. It's it's very important that you set that time frame. Mm-hmm. The portfolio wisdom is you buy a little bit of different things in different proportions. And there's debate on how much stock, how many bonds, how many REITs yeah. and, and different things you should buy. Uh, some people say 60, 40, you know, 60% stocks, 40% of the other stuff, depending on right. uh, some so, say you know, it has to be more like 70, 30. So that that's something that, you know, you'd have to look up based on what type of goal you're trying to get to and, and how much risk you're, you're comfortable with. Mm-hmm. So by the uh, other so, stuff, you mean 60% stocks, uh, 40% would be the other stuff's like bonds and real estate. Uh, yeah, income exactly. trusts and that sort of thing. Okay, so anything yeah. that's not a stock. All right, and that's sort of like the the rule of thumb, right? The the 60/40 is 
is it seems to be like a standard sort of rule that that people recommend is that something that we should consider or is it different for every person yeah i'd say that's the that's the rule of thumb that this will probably be the right allocation for the most amount of people who don't really know much about it and can't think about oh what's really how, how much risk am i yeah. really willing to take on so people who just kind of broadly want their money to grow are comfortable with kind of the you know five six percentish long-term return that that kind of portfolio um will return there's been some debate recently with interest rates being low so the amount of money that you earn off of borrowed money in in general across the economy that's why if you go open a savings account right now you you basically get pennies right you yeah. you're, you, you basically you barely get anything if when you open put money into a savings account because there's a whole bunch of factors that go into how much money in interest you get in a savings account but mm -hmm. you know if you on the other side of things if you go out and try and get a mortgage right now rates are historically low so mm -hmm. it's a good time to be borrowing money it's not a great time to be lending money right so that, that means that if you're you know investing in bonds bonds are lending people money so you're not going to be getting much back and yeah yeah the returns are going to be lower yeah. so if some people think okay to offset that you have to rejig how you're putting together your portfolios because this right. is the kind of historic 60 40 may not have worked as well over the last 10 years or so as it, as it could have I, I see and i suppose then if interest rates start rising again then bonds will be more of a better investment long term yeah i mean um not in the short term because bonds will actually drop when the interest rates go up so there's a few things to consider and this is where things get a little bit more complex um yeah this is the this is where you come in and tell me where i should just put my money so i don't have to yeah. learn all this stuff all this stuff right um but well, uh, that gets into the point of you need to rebalance your portfolio yeah for like sure that, for sure so. Yeah. This is this gets to the point. You, you know, it's as much as you might want to set it and forget it. If if you are trying to invest for yourself, you do have to. Right, right. That's if you do set something like a 60-40 rule, you have to periodically go back and you know, things are going to change. If you set it at 60-40 or 70-30, it's going to go either up to, you know, 75-25 or it could go 65-35 just on how the market moves and how different mm -hmm. things impact your portfolio. You just have to set a regular interval where you sell the stuff that increased and buy the stuff that decreased. Mm -hmm. That's the part that people have a hard time doing is having the discipline to rebalance the portfolio because you think, oh, this one went up. I want to keep the guy that's going up. I don't want the guy that yeah, went yeah. down. That, that's but yeah. yeah, because of the cyclical nature of, of the economy and how these things uh, work, um, the best returns meaning the risk versus reward equation is you get the best results if you periodically you know look at your portfolio you, you sell the winners you buy the losers and then those losers will gain and then mm. the what was the winner previously will be the loser next time and then you mm. you you move your money um you know, you buy buy one and sell the other to keep that 60, 40 or 70, 30, whatever your long-term 
you when you do your research and you think, okay, this is the long-term um, called the asset allocation strategy. You know, this one works for me. Uh, I'm going to stick with it. And you just have to have the discipline to stick with it. Right. So uh, I wanted to yeah, ask you about uh, reevaluation and how often we, we should do that and what's the best way to do that. But, but before we get into that, thinking in terms of just starting out, you, it sounded like what you were saying was that we should start out with just like a general stock index. So like make sure we're just buying the stock, the stock market, right? Like in, the, in Canada, we have the TSX, right? So if I'm just starting out as an investor and I have like $1,000 or $5,000 or something like that, that would be an ETF that, that uh, tracks the TSX would be a good place to start, right? Yeah, that would be a good place to start. I would say you probably want to go 50-50 the US market and Canadian market. That's right. another thing that investors that that's I don't want to say it's a mistake, but it's definitely it limits the returns people who there's the the home country bias or the home home bias where the home team you stick yeah. with what you know. Yeah, you stick oh, I'm, you know, you're in Canada, you know the TSX, you know the companies that are listed there. If you own companies in both countries and you get the advantage of the two different um two different exposures to to two different uh, customer bases right. now one thing i do want to say about buying broad markets is um the broad market in indices there there are some and you may want to be careful especially if you have certain either ethical or there, there are some companies you may not be comfortable investing in mm -hmm. if you just buy a broad market like the S&P 500 or something mm -hmm. like that. If you're, you don't want you know, cigarette companies, tobacco companies, alcohol companies, weapons companies, mm. you know, that you got to be aware of, you know, what you're buying in that ETF. Mm -hmm. And there are some ETFs who will kind of carve those companies out. So you'll be able to buy a broad market, but it'll exclude the, you know, ammunition manufacturers, the gun companies, hmm. the tobacco companies. So there, there are some new ETFs out there that can help people who have more kind of socially conscious investing. Right. So, um, yeah, because some people don't feel good about making money off of a company that For sure. makes For bombs sure. and guns. <laughs> and there's, there's ways around that and there's yeah. ways to be responsible and, and, investing companies that that's you know, you, that's good you don't to know have any yeah. ethical issues yeah, for sure uh it's important to be aware of the of that as as well and and uh how that fits in with our own moral compasses and it's a good segue to a question from one of our listeners uh listener ian wants to know how he can learn more about these kind of socially and maybe environmentally responsible etfs is there a a way we can learn more about these these kind of investments. <laughs> I mean, Google's your friend here. Google, yeah, uh -huh. yeah. I mean, if if you look at a lot of different ETF providers, just you'll you can go and look at their product list, and it'll list them. And a lot of them will say ES. So ESG is kind of the the buzzword. It's um, environmental, social, and corporate governance mm -hmm. is uh, you know what it stands for, and it's um, these ESG-driven investments um, or ESG-conscious investments are um, investments that are, you know, want to make sure that there's environmentally sustainable, um, there's 
you know, the positive social impact, and then they have good governance. Mm-hmm. So, you know, lower risk of corruption or, or things like that, or um, money being used unwisely or mm-hmm. <laughs> for any untoward purpose. Yeah, there's some little, they'll typically tell you if in the name, mm-hmm. you know, you'll, you'll read them and you'll say, oh, this one excluding tobacco or this one oh, excluding guns or mm. you know, socially conscious. So y- you do have to do a bit of research and because, you know, there's hundreds, if not thousands of different ETFs out there and there are different companies that cater to this space. Um, and, and you just, you got to make sure that, you know, you feel good about the ones you pick. Mm-hmm. Um, you can research the companies and just Google them and see what they do. Each one of these ETFs has, has to show you a listing of all the companies that, you know, that are in the ETF list. So in that portfolio, mm-hmm. to Ian's question, there's, you know, a lot of reading you can, can do on it to make sure that you're comfortable in your investment decision. Yeah, for sure. So it's about um, identifying the these ETFs and doing a little bit of reading about them, looking at the list of companies that are in them. It's more of a habit, right? Investing is something that we do regularly over the long haul, and that's how we build a, a nest egg, right? So what do you recommend in terms of when we start to regularly invest in ETFs or companies or mutual funds, do we do we want to diversify more? If if we have a lot of US US um, investments, Canadian investments, should we look at maybe Asian investments or European investments? Should we try to diversify as much as possible, or should we focus on like a handful of of things? What what do you think is the best strategy as we're expanding our portfolios? Yeah, typically, if you think about, okay, on what makes a broad market go up, well, it's GDP growth. So gross domestic product growth. Where is the highest GDP growth going to be? Not North America. It's probably going to be in places like China and other emerging markets, India. So having exposure to uh, countries that are going to have better GDP growth uh, then ours is in over the long term, it's going to be a benefit to your portfolio. Part of the reason why you diversify is you, you don't have a crystal ball and you don't know what's going to happen in the future. You don't know if there's going to be a huge issue with the Canadian market, the U S market. If we did, we'd be rich, right? We wouldn't wouldn't need to think about this so much. Yeah. So, so diversifying as much as possible is is a good way to go. It's a good way, especially if we're we're not the kind of person that can pay so much attention to the economy and the markets and and stocks and blah blah blah. Right? Yeah, I'd say so. It just goes back to the risk return yeah. trade off. Mm-hmm. So, the more concentrated you make your portfolio in any country, you're you're adding more risk. But mm-hmm. that that there's an issue within that one country that's going to impact your investment portfolio. If you spread it around to different countries, then you reduce that risk, Mm -hmm. you know, diversify. And there's, you know, but going back to the ETFs, there's, um, there's ETFs where they invest all over the world, or you can buy, you know, you can do it a couple of ways. You can, you know, buy the ones that invest everywhere and then you just buy one and then that makes life easy for you. Or if yeah. you want to have specific ones, you can buy, you know, one that's Canadian specific, you buy one that's US specific, Western Europe, or one that's 
you know, Asian specific or mm-hmm. you can buy a few and then, you know, you increase your holdings. You may have anywhere from six to 10 different ETFs, but you at least know exactly what you're getting with each one. Yeah. You know, the, the, you know, the big global ones, they could have hundreds, if not a thousand holdings. And then that's harder <laughs> to kind of keep track of what you're investing in. And as we're investing on the regular, should we try and time the market? Like if I see, oh, energy stocks are going down or something like that, should I think maybe I should purchase some investments in energy stocks? Is that something we should try and do? Or do you recommend that we just kind of have a strategy to start with and then stick to that strategy as much as possible? Well, I think you should have a strategy and stick to it. Okay. But... That goes back to my point on, you know, when you're looking at your portfolio and you, you know, allocate to the winners and losers, that that's something you would look at is, okay, you see, and people have a hard time doing this is buying the losers. If, if you see an investment or sector that's been beaten up pretty badly and, you know, and the returns have been really bad, it's, it's hard for most people to say, okay, that's where I want to put my money. Mm-hmm. But you know, you got to look at, you know, the drivers as to what made yeah. that industry. You know, if it's going back to the blockbuster example, if you're, you're talking about the, the VHS industry, mm-hmm. yeah, okay, there's probably a reason why it called, <laughs> it's falling. It's, you probably mm-hmm. shouldn't put your money in, in there. But if it's something like oil, which is kind of macroeconomically driven, if you had bought oil stocks a few months ago when they were cheap, you'd, you'd be happy right now because if you know, the price of oil went back up and you would have experienced quite a pretty good gain on it if you bought an, an oil ETF or you bought oil stocks a few months ago. Mm-hmm. Um, but you got to make sure that you do it within strategy. You don't mm-hmm. you know, sell everything with all the other yeah. companies and just buy all you you know, you do everything in a measured, appropriate percentage within your portfolio. And, you know, same thing, you know, the, the tech stocks that you see in the U.S., yeah. they've kind of pulled back a little bit. They were soaring high. And if they pull back, okay, well, it might be good to cycle some capital or mm-hmm. cycle your investments into investment vehicle that can capture the upside if if and when they regain value. So, yeah. You do have to figure out the why, the, the whys of the ups and downs, and that goes back to, you know, what I was saying about being able to understand the front page of the business section. Is you got to understand a lot of the drivers and mm-hmm. you know, what's what's making interest rates go up. You know, why you know if this the stock market's going down, what's making it go down? If it's going up, what's making it go up? If you got to at least inform yourself on to just broadly. Mm-hmm. what what some of these drivers are and to be honest a lot of these things aren't as difficult as as many people may think mm-hmm. um finance professionals are great at making things sound more difficult than they are mm-hmm. uh, you know using jargon or certain terms and you know acronyms that people don't understand just to, to make it sound more difficult than it is um yeah it's but, uh mystifying for a lot of people but as you were saying before with google and and uh all the resources we have at our disposable it's uh not too difficult to to figure this stuff out if if you want to take the time to do it yeah exactly yeah i think if you want to put the time and effort it's it's attainable by the the average person you just gotta 
put in the time to, to yeah. read it and research. So it sounds like your approach to reevaluating your or just evaluating your your portfolio whenever whenever you look at it is you sell your winners and you buy your your losers. So I guess that's not and as you said you have to understand first why is this a winner why is this a loser and then once you have that idea you can think okay should I sell this winner should I buy more of this loser am am I getting that correct is that the best way you think to evaluate our portfolios yeah i, I think so yeah and it's rebalancing mm-hmm. the portfolio is you know if you look it up you'll you'll see that term mentioned um yeah you, you and i'm not saying do it on a weekly basis or how, you know, how often do you recommend i'd say either quarterly so every three months or right. twice a year you yeah. might want to look at rebalancing that's you know, kind of looking at institutions, how they do it. If you're mm-hmm. looking at a, a, you know, the big fancy, you know, suit wearing guys on Bay Street, they're probably rebalancing a client's portfolio either quarterly or twice a year. Mm-hmm. It's uh, other than that, you're probably doing it a little bit too often, unless there's yeah. a big market swing. Like if something happens and. So if there's a big you know, crash, you, that would be a good time to reevaluate or. Yeah. A, a big crash. Um, if, or if things go up a ton, right, so right. you know, if you if you're targeting the sixty forty and it goes to eighty twenty, that's pretty far away from your sixty forty. So it'd be good to, you know, sell the twenty percent and put it, mm-hmm. you know, try and reallocate it back to the sixty forty. You know, if it goes the other way and it gets more to 50, like fifty fifty, yeah, you might mm-hmm. want to sell one the bonds and then buy. The, the stock side of things or the all other things portfolio and by the stock side of things. Mm. So, um, you know, if you see big swings like that, you, that's something you, you you'll probably hear <laughs> on the, in the, the newspaper, if it's some something that requires your attention, it's not something it, it'll go be, beyond the business pages, right? The, the yeah. It, it's yeah. typically, if it's something that, mm-hmm. you know, is going to make that big of a difference on your portfolio, you, you'll, you'll hear, but you don't have to be following the business news on a daily basis mm-hmm. to figure out, you know, that type, if yeah. something like that is happening, but um, you know, uh, unless there's that big type of event, you sh- should be able to do it. Yeah. You know, anywhere from three to six months, every three to six months or so. Mm-hmm. And you, you'd say you do recommend sticking to a strategy, right? Like the 60, 40, I guess it's different for every person. How do you recommend people determine their strategy from the get-go? Obviously, we talked about how how it relates to the time frame, right? How much longer in the future are you hoping to be able to use this this savings? Um, and the longer into the future that you're willing to go, the the better your chances of getting returns are. Is that is that? Am I getting? Yeah. Well, first of all, you kind of need to estimate how much money you're going to need. Mm-hmm. So, so you, you have like an overall number. Okay. If I'm retiring, I'm going to need $2 million or something like that. Yeah. And then, and then you can look at, okay, so what are the factors that are going to help me save that $2 million? How much I save and then how much I earn on my investment return. Mm-hmm. So those are kind of the two things that, that are going to drive you getting to that goal. Yeah. So, you know, you can set how much you save and you can at least set your portfolio with certain expectations. 
you know, stocks have higher returns than bonds. So if if you need to get, you know, an 8% return on your money in order to get to that $2 million, you're going to need to adjust your portfolio to have more stocks than the other stuff. So it's going to need to look more like a 70-30. Yeah. If you, if you don't need as high a return to get to that $2 million, then you think, okay, well, it's not worth me taking all that extra risk. I only need two million. Well, only need two million dollars, but I don't need to take more risk than I have to in order to get to that goal. So something like a sixty forty may make more sense because it's going to give you a less volatile path to where you want to go. Right. So this is where high school math comes in. Right. Comes in handy. <laughs> and I'm sitting down and doing all these calculations. Um, yeah, no, that that makes a lot of sense, though. Definitely, it's uh, this is where Google's your friend too, right? Like, Google, this stuff you could easily Google has. Use. I'm sure Google has some like calculators for this kind of thing, or, or something. Google has the power. Yeah, yeah. Google is Google is amazing. Yep, uh, for especially for learning, for sure. Um, okay. What about some common mistakes that new investors often make? What are some of the most common ones and how can we avoid those mistakes? So that's not sticking to the plan. So mm-hmm. s- setting the strategy and then deviating it. If, if, you know, some people have a hard time, you know, the, there's a lot of research on how investing affects people's emotions, loss in impacts your emotions more mm-hmm. than gains. So seeing things go down will make you know people you know freak out sometimes and okay, I put this plan together, but you know, in the short term I'm things have gone down. I can't stand to lose all my money. It's going to go to zero. I, I need to sell everything. Mm-hmm. So having a level head and um, realizing that you know in the long term these strategies typically work. They've worked for lots of people. You know, if you employ these and you, you pick the right time horizon mm-hmm. and you have the right expectations, th- these things should work if, if you're patient. Mm-hmm. Um, it just, it can be hard for some people more than others when they, if they see some, you know, losses to, to maintain the plan and maintain the discipline. Mm-hmm. Uh, timing the market, like you said, that's another mistake people made. People are notoriously bad. Even, even the best, brightest professionals that invest get it wrong so often. Mm-hmm. So you're probably not going to pick the market top and you're probably not going to pick the market bottom. So this goes back to the graph. Yeah, It, it trends up over the long term. The sooner you start and then put your money in and then, invest it's there's a saying it's time in the market not timing the market that's hmm. important mm-hmm. because the longer you're there the longer you get the advantage of that upward trajectory right rather than you trying to pick okay is where's the top or bottom or is it going to go down tomorrow or next week or mm-hmm. will i get it cheaper if i wait you're just as likely to be wrong and you are right so there's no point in, in guessing like that you're you're better off just uh, starting investing, start getting the benefits of, you know, the dividends and the cash flow that you'll be getting from those investments sooner rather than later. And, mm-hmm. and, you know, over time you'll, you'll make money. 
that makes sense. Keeping a level head is um, a skill that that definitely goes beyond investing and it applies to a lot of areas of life. So uh, it's something that uh, I think is a worthwhile investment in of, of time. And you mentioned not, not panicking is important. A lot of what I'm hearing nowadays is not so much panic, but the opposite. It's fear of missing out and people rushing to buy investments that they hear about on social media or the news or whatever. Is that something you'd caution against as well? Or, or is that uh, a whole other story? Yeah, it's, it's back to the, don't get too high. Don't get too low. Yeah. Um, with investing, you know, you keep a, a level head and, you know, things like the Bitcoin and GameStop and, and all that stuff. That's not investing. That's gambling. What's going on with those companies. So mm-hmm. pe- people get <laughs> very passionate about the Bitcoin argument, but r- right now there's no, there's no reason, you know, I see, this is my opinion to buy Bitcoin. There's it's with those, you're just, you're guessing that somebody's going to want to buy it from you yeah. for more than you paid for without the, the thing about businesses are, okay, the stocks go up because the businesses make money. Mm-hmm. That That's why the stock price goes up over time is because businesses create cash flow. And as an owner of the business, you get to take, you know, partake in the cash flow of the business. Mm-hmm. For sure. So what's one thing you wish you knew as a new investor? I think it goes back to that time in the market. Mm-hmm. It's it's just starting early. Yeah. Rather than, you know, if you if you buy kind of the broad market stuff, you the sooner you start, the better. Mm-hmm. So that's something that would have been great to know, you know, years ago. Mm-hmm. And I think just you know don't take too much risk. There's there's certain stuff and and don't follow the hype. You know, it's it's easy, especially if you don't know as much about it you get caught up in the hype of the things mm-hmm. that we were just speaking about with the you know the bitcoins and the GameStop yep. and all that kind of you hear about it and the media reports on it because it's an interesting yeah. story or they, they know they're going to get clicks or views or and you know if you don't have an understanding of what's going on there and and the deeper story you might get caught up in it and like oh okay this is great people are making tons of money mm-hmm. on it so making sure that you have a, a level head and, 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 you know, don't get caught in the hype that, you know, it's hard to do, especially if you're younger and you're getting started and you don't, you don't have as much knowledge. Mm-hmm. Um, and also, yeah, the knowing how people are getting paid too, because a lot of your, a lot of your return can get eaten up by unnecessary fees. Mm-hmm. Um, you can save quite a bit of money and that money goes into your investment returns and then that helps with your, compounding so another answer to that question would be the power of compounding the money you make off your investment returns mm-hmm. that makes a huge difference mm-hmm. especially when we're looking at long time horizons so the difference between making five percent a year for 20 years and six and a half percent a year for 20 years that the difference in that could be the fees that you're paying mm-hmm. to but that makes a huge difference because the extra one and a half percent that you're making every year is making an extra one and a half percent every year. And then that, you know, that with time that that can get to a pretty big, big number and big percentage. So we should be very anal about percentages and, and every percent, every half a percent counts, I guess. Well, that goes back to what's your goals. Yeah. Are you, yeah. 
you know, is, is, is having a portfolio manager adding value because you're not, yeah. you don't have as much volatility and you're comfortable with, you know, someone watching over your money and is it worth paying them? Uh-huh. If it's not to you and you, you know, you're confident enough that you can have the discipline to stick to your plan, then yeah, you can reap the rewards of not having to pay those fees. <laughs> What's the best piece of advice you've received on investing? Yeah, it's, it's more just, it's not a casino. Mm-hmm. You know, this is, you know, back to what you're saying, this is your life savings. This is how you're going to retire. This is how you're going to buy a home. Don't take unnecessary risk. Mm-hmm. You do have to take some risk, but make sure that you're rewarded for taking that risk with investments that make sense to you. I know you mentioned uh, in your text TFSAs and RSPs. Do you want to talk about the difference between that a little bit? or? Yeah, sure. So that, that goes back to, you know, putting together your plan. Mm-hmm. Um, so knowing how much money you get to keep from your investing makes sense because, you know, the, the money you make off your investments, that's seen as income. You know, when the go- you're filing your taxes with the government, the either the dividends or the capital gains that you make or the interest you get can be taxable if, mm-hmm. if, if unless you structure it in a certain way, either within your TFSA or your RRSP. And there are different you know, benefits and weaknesses to each of those vehicles. Right. So um, just learning what the rules are. So knowing, you know, what what does a TFSA mean? What is tax free? How how do I take advantage of this? What what would I be taxed on anyway? So I think one one thing that people with the TFSAs the mistake they make is you know you put it in a cash savings account and the amount of money that you're saving off of the interest that you the the taxes that you would have had to pay off the interest isn't that high anyway. So you're not really getting any, like any real advantage of putting money in a TFSA, the advantage in the TFSA is, you know, getting, you know, a lot of growth on your investment and then not having to pay tax on the growth on your right. investment, not having to pay tax on the dividends, not having to pay tax on yeah. the the interest. So, so essentially that's how, where, how it works is if I, let's say I buy like an Apple stock today and sell it like a few years later and I make like a hundred dollars off those stocks uh, if it's in my TFSA, I wouldn't have to pay tax on that hundred dollars that I make off that uh, return. That's as simply as possible. How we is that how we should understand our TFSA? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So the benefit of putting the money in the TFSA is, you know, it's the, saving the tax that you would have to pay on that hundred dollars. Yeah. So that's that's why they're valuable. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, our RSP when you put money in, you get the tax refund because it. Um, reduces the amount of taxable income you have for that year. So, and you got to weigh the trade-offs of, okay, how much am I going to get back if I contribute this year? Uh But also how the money that you take out of your RSP when you take it out, either in retirement or um, with a few exceptions, like the home buyer's plan is is one of the exceptions. You have to pay tax when you take it out. So you got to, Weigh the do yeah weigh the okay is this, is it worth getting the return now, and then investing that 
extra money that I get back and then getting the growth on all that extra mm-hmm. money mm-hmm. and then paying tax on it later or paying tax on it now um, and using after-tax money, putting it in the TFSA. So there's there's a few things to consider. Mm-hmm. Um, this is where, you know, when, once you start adding up all these little bits, there's there's you can start seeing where the value of having an advi- yeah. like a, an advisor or uh-huh. financial planner are because you know it's their job to know all these rules and being able to apply them to to you when you give them your goals. For um, sure. But you know, then again, it costs money. So is it worth the money to you to have somebody help you out, or if you if you're the type of person who thinks no, I can look this up, I can do all the research and I can do it myself. And there's ways for you to, to figure it all out and figure out how the rules apply to you. All the, you know, TFSA, RSP stuff that's on the government website. So mm-hmm. that's something that you could easily find out. You just have to spend the time, <laughs> spend the time reading and researching. And yeah. some of it's not the most exciting for stuff sure. to read for no sure. from experience. So yeah, yeah. you got to, have a coffee while you're going through uh-huh, it. Uh-huh. You know, you're, you're not going to be a pro at it right. by the end of the week, but you know, you take some time, you read, and if you don't understand something, yeah, look at up research, try and figure out you know, yep. what the heck they're talking about. You know, you'll get to the answer, and it may lead to more questions, and then have those questions answered by more research. It's you know, it's there's a lot to learn. You know, it's. Uh, one of the reasons why starting early and getting the experience early helps because you make better decisions after you know, five years from now, you're going to be in a better investor than you were today. And in 10 years, you're going to be a better investor than you were, you know, in five years from now. So it's just this amount of, you know, looking at it and in- incrementally gaining some more and more knowledge, trying to figure things out. You don't need to have it all figured out today. Yeah. Yeah, work work away at it. Mm-hmm. That's uh, that's a great uh, that's some great advice. Absolutely. Is do you recommend any resources? Last question: Are there any particular resources like podcasts, books, websites, blogs, anything in particular that you recommend uh, for people who want to learn more about this this topic? Yeah, I've, I mean, I think the greaterfool.ca website. Um, Garth Turner. I, I just I like he's someone who has interesting writing style, and he gives good generic investing advice, and mm-hmm. he helps the reader understand some of those drivers I was talking about. So mm-hmm. that that's a good um, that's a good one to start. I mean, there's tons of books like The Wealthy Barbers. You know, one of the ones that's that's good for people to. Yeah. If you're starting from scratch, that's a good one to pick up and, and read. So Yeah, my parents um, gave me that one uh, uh, 10 years ago or so. Sounds good. Well, thank you so much, Brendan. That was very informative. And I already feel more comfortable about putting my money into the, the <laughs> risky stock market. So uh, thanks so much for talking to me today. That was great. Yeah, my pleasure. Time in the market, not timing the market. As with investing and learning, in some cases, time can be our friend. I hope you learned something from today's conversation. Thanks for listening, and special thanks again to my guest, Brendan. If you like this podcast, please rate and review wherever you get your podcasts. 
Visit the website at amateurpod.com for all our episodes, the amateur blog, and subscribe links. I'd love to hear your thoughts, questions, episode ideas, stock tips, whatever's on your mind. Don't hesitate to reach out. Until next time, remember, there's a teacher in everyone you meet.